ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion. With Scott Prather. Steal the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome into the Great Scott Show. March 22nd, 2022. What is happening? You got a great show for you this morning. Saints finally settle on Jameis. Pelicans blow a big lead, but were missing quite a bit of their roster last night. Almost won the third game of a road trip and the second game of a road back-to-back, but came up short. Cajun baseball, remember they were scheduled to play tonight. That's now tomorrow because of the weather. This weather across the state. Man, kids home from school. Now reportedly UL has canceled classes today. SLCC. Be safe out there, everybody. Ollie Cassell of the Bird Rides going to join me in 10 minutes to talk some Pels. Andrew Juge of the Saints Happy Hour podcast at the bottom of the hour. And my guy, Jay Walker, is scheduled to be in studio this morning from 8 to 9. We're looking forward to that. A little TTT. We'll dig into Cajun sports, among other things, college hoops, March Madness. LSU hired a new head basketball coach. Matt McMahon appears to be um, not a sleaze, not a sleaze ball, which is good. Appears to be pretty pretty clean, pretty safe. Don't know that he's paying players from his account, which is good. He had a lot of success at Murray State. You know, I by all accounts, looks like a good hire. Played four seasons at App State back in the day. Under Buzz Peterson. At Murray State, recruited a guy named Ja Morant that many others hadn't really offered a scholarship to. I'd say that worked out well for him. Won nearly 70% of his games in seven years there. The question isn't, can McMahon coach? The question is, what are the punishments going to be for him? Not him, but LSU basketball. But that, you know, credit to Scott Woodward. That news came quicker and sooner than I thought. But... They, you get the sense that they knew that Will Wade was going to be gone as soon as they got that NOA, and they probably had an idea of when they were going to get it, and they already started their research, and they were already good to go. So I guess when you really think about it, it, it does make sense why it didn't take so long. It looks like a good hire. Looks like a good hire. Speaking of LSU hoops, the women's team lost last night to Ohio State 79-64. to You know, they, um, well, they finished here. 26-6. Pretty good, pretty good, pretty good season for Kim Mulkey in her first year. They surpassed expectations. Now, they didn't get to the Sweet 16. 
But the atmosphere was great over there at the PMAC. And, you know, she's classy. She's feisty. She brought some interest there. She did a good job in her first year. The Saints. You know, I got an email yesterday afternoon from a listener, Derek. He said, well, now that they've signed Jameis Winston, are you ready to say that the offseason hasn't been horrible yet? No, I'm not ready to say that yet. Because what else have they done? Okay, so they signed Winston. They signed a D-tackle. They signed Marcus May. They lost Marcus Williams. And Jameis Winston, a two-year deal, 28 mil. Now, initial reports is that, that, you know, 21 mil is guaranteed. Ian Rappaport sent out a tweet last night saying it's closer to 15 mil. But the Saints offered Jameis Winston a deal, you know, around the NFL Combine, and he was like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait and see what the market looks like. There wasn't much of a market. We all know the Saints went hard at Watson. It didn't work out. And in the end, Jameis Winston answered the booty call, and he said, yeah, I'll, I'll come over tonight, but I'm spending the night. Spending the night. So according to Rappaport, Jameis gets a $14 million signing bonus, and it's not $21 million guaranteed overall. It's $15.2 million fully guaranteed. Meanwhile, guys like Jameis and Crowder are a wide receiver. That would have been a nice get for the Saints. Goes to Buffalo for $4 million on one, for one season. The rest of free agency is passing the Saints by right now. Teron Armstead went to South Beach last night to visit with the Dolphins. Saints still have a lot of work to do because signing Jameis Winston was what appeared to be where all all the arrows were pointed in that direction when the offseason started. And the fact that they came back to it, once Watson said he was going to Cleveland for $230 million, it, it, all, it all made sense. The Falcons, though. Not only does Matt Ryan say, yeah, guys, get me out of here. They will pay over $40 million. Well, not pay. They've already paid. They will have over a $40 million dead cap hit. That is money against this year's salary cap form for Matt Ryan, who is no longer their quarterback. Meanwhile, they signed Marcus Mariota to be their guy. A stopgap, two-year deal. Really, in reality, it's more like a one-year guarantee. Carolina still doesn't have a quarterback. Maybe they go after Baker Mayfield. Young punk. But, I mean, if Tom Brady hadn't come back, the NFC South's quarterback situation would have been, even with Brady at his age, it's like, it ain't ranking high up on the list, guys. The NFC South is still wide open. But the Saints need to make a number of moves if they want to be a part of it. We'll talk more about that with Andrew Juge coming up at 7.30. We got Ali Cassell in the house, talk a little Pels. Pels fall back to the 10 spot behind the Lakers after last night. We finally got word of what I've been saying since November about Zion Williamson. We'll dig into that. It's all coming your way. This is the Great Scott Show. Don't go anywhere. Ollie, Andrew Juge, Jay Walker, and more on a Tuesday. We'll be right back. He still hasn't given up his dream of becoming a member of the Beastie Boys. Mm, drop! Scott Prather on the Great Scott Show on ESPN Lafayette. The best ticket in sports. <laughs> <laughs> 
It does go well with a chicken. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. ESPN Lafayette, 1033 on the FM, 1420 on the AM. Streaming worldwide via the ESPN Lafayette app. You're listening via the stream. It's brought to you by Champagne's Market on the Oil Center. Champagne's going the extra mile. And for everybody in the Lafayette area, be safe out there. Nasty weather in the forecast. Storms, severe and uh, looks like we are under our tornado watch until 2 p.m. this afternoon. So be safe, everybody. Now we're going to talk some hoops from the city of New Orleans. The greatest team in the state, of course. I'm talking about the Loyola Wolfpack playing for a national championship tonight. No, we're not talking about that right now. More on that later, though. Uh, Ali Cassell joins us from thebirdrights.com to talk about the Pels who... Uh, dropped one last night, Ollie, and it looked for a moment there like they were gonna they were gonna get that one in Charlotte, despite the fact that it's probably the worst officiated game I've seen this year. Despite the fact that Herb Jones was ejected for some nonsense that really was you know by the by the officials, despite the fact that now Brandon Ingram, um, you know it it there was a lot working against them. It was the second of a road back to back and. They couldn't quite hang on, but uh, overall, coming off of the road trip, big picture, they slid back to the 10 spot, but with 10 games left, where are you at with the Pels right now? Because most things appear to be trending upward. They are. I mean, it was a tough loss um, over the last eight minutes or so. The Pels, it was really a little game they needed to win, but for the vast majority of that road trip, they played incredibly well. And, you know, this is the time of the season when they've got to do that. They have a real chance of not just making a playing tournament, but moving into nine. So you feel good, really, overall about, right, almost going 3-0. and But still, 2-1 and is very good on the road trip. And, that, and you still got a lot of good, easy, winnable – well, I don't want to say easy. Nothing's easy this time of year. But winnable games at home against competition that's directly fighting for you uh, to get into that playing tournament. So they got two more games against the Lakers. they got to play the Spurs one more time coming up. You've got the Trailblazers a couple more times. So – like I said, Scott, this is all you wanted to get this yourselves into this position to where you're going to potentially be playing postseason basketball. And Scott, who would have thought this could possibly be even a potential scenario after that start they had, right? One and 12, three and 16. I mean, Brandon Ingram is um, missing currently, and, and now they're five and 17 without him. Clearly, they miss him, but. Um... You know, seeing what Jonas has done on the road trip and certainly when they got McCollum back, that helped in a big way. But uh, any word on maybe when Ingram might be back in the lineup because Lord knows they they need him. You mentioned what's coming up on the schedule. Uh, they're just a diff- totally different team without their best player. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, before last night's loss, they had actually won three or four without B.I. So that was the first time they've done anything similar uh, this season without him. But when when he first got injured, um, it was late in that Denver Nuggets game where he kind of pulled his hamstring a little bit. He felt something, you know, back there late in that game. And we, we were told that he'd probably miss about two weeks or so. So, well, we're pretty much past that point. 
And he would have traveled with the team on this latest road trip had he not, of course, come down with an illness. So all of us are expecting uh, for him to play probably in the next game or two. I mean, the odds just seem good, even though it's been quiet on that front. But that seems like it's been plenty of time for his hamstring to get ready. And then, of course, hey, we're still supposed to get Larry Nance back as well. So this team is going to be hopefully, you know, knock on wood, sometime on this homestand, uh, fully healthy or as healthy as they can be, right, without Zion Williamson. Speaking of Zion, something I've been saying since November, um, Shams reported yesterday he's not going to play this season, Ollie. Um, You know, glass half empty, your, you know, franchise guy just missed the whole season of basketball. Um, Glass half full, he did, but he didn't need a second surgery, and now he's... You know, his timeline looks like he'll be ready to go for next season. And you look at how well the team has played at least the second half of the season. You throw him into the mix and who knows what happens. But what's what's the future with Zion in your mind in regards to his contract and how the team will approach it this summer? With Zion, you obviously wanted to see him play at any point this season. But look, it's not unheard of. Joel Embiid missed his first two seasons, right, in the league. And his third, he missed a lot of games. And now look where his career is. I mean, he had foot injuries, like I said, the first couple of years. And now he's one of the best players in the league um, who's consistently leading his team uh, into the playoffs. So that's, I think, the hope for what you want to see out of Zion Williamson, that he overcomes, right, that injury nexus, gets the body figured out takes his conditioning more seriously. And honestly, it seems like from what we've been hearing, that has been the case. Um, it just, unfortunately, the foot never healed enough to where he could have gotten on the court, ramped up, and gotten back playing and helping the team. But having said all that, it's almost positive in a way that this team reacted the way it did, what it went through to such a lull and low to start, but never folded the culture that was created despite all of this that seems to be growing from the rest of the guys in that locker room to now honestly being on the doorstep of getting in the playing tournament is just something that no one possibly imagined with the season starting off as a worst case scenario, right? You're missing one of your two stars and unfortunately Zion, the face of the franchise to an injury. Uh, and for this to come out this way, I, I, I think Scott, that's almost a positive. Right, And I think that's a big reason why I was told that Zion Williamson even wanted to come back from Portland to be in New Orleans. I don't think there was any expectation, even when he got back, that he was going to play. You could just look at right the, the calendar. He was never going to have enough time to get fully back, going, jumping all the hurdles to get back on the court with the guys. But we were told that he really just wanted to be around this team. And that's something I've always heard with Zion, is that he likes his teammates. He, he loves to be here. I think there's just been a butting of the heads, right? A few moments with also his family, uh, with the organization that have led to all the rumors and such. But I fully expect for them to offer him that uh, probably something close to a max extension this summer. There's something you've got to bite the bullet on. Everybody knows that what he's capable of when he gets onto the court. And when you're a small market team, you can't really play hardball, right? How many Zion Williamsons do you get that walk through your door because you got fortunate through the draft? So I think things will work out um, on that end because it, uh, it, from Zion's perspective, 
what are you going to do? Are you actually going to try and force your way out to where not you're going to basically have to well, take a qualifying if he offer did that, or he demand a trade? I mean, if he did try to force his way out, he wouldn't do it until after he signs a new deal. I mean, that's exactly we saw that's, Ben that's Simmons exactly do right. it, you know, and so it's it's a look, it's a calculated risk for the Pelicans, no doubt. You've got Willie Green, who's done a great job. You've got finally some good team rivalry. I mean, I, I think on paper, you could say last year's team had more talent on it than this year's, considering Zion played last year, not this year, but just overall. And yet, last year's team just there was no. I mean, for lack of better words, you know, there was there wasn't a lot of heart, there wasn't a lot of camaraderie. I mean, the Stan Van Gundy hire was just terrible, and now you're seeing the team this year with maybe not as much talent playing just together. I mean, it's like you, you see these guys, um, you see the job Willie Green's done, and the fact that two undrafted free agents in basketball as rookies are having the impact they are, and Jose Alvarado and Herb Jones, that is extremely rare. In fact, Jose probably should have come in sooner than he did last night for Devontae Graham, who struggled mightily last night. I mean, those two guys, um, it, it's I, that, the, that's maybe the brightest spot this season. It's, obviously, look, getting C.J. McCollum was huge, all that other stuff, but you trade for C.J., you expect him to be good, right? It's not a surprise that Brandon Ingram is really good. What's surprising is that two, I say undrafted, excuse me, a second-round draft pick at Herb Jones and an undrafted guy in Jose Alvarado. That, that's just UDFAs as rookies, second-rounders as rookies. Their impact in the NBA usually is minimal. In fact, more times than not, statistically, they don't even make a team for a season. And these two guys are in there in crunch time, and they could have accused Herb last night had he not been ejected with a ridiculous call. That, to me, is like, how can you not you know, think this 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 franchise is trending upward. And the response I usually get to that question, Ali, is, well, Zion, what's the future of Zion? So it's kind of just, there are a lot of positives here, but in terms of that decision of Zion, of what he could be good and bad for the franchise, I think so much of the future worth of this team is tied into what he's going to be the next couple of years. Exactly. <laughs> you couldn't have said it better myself. Without him, what we learned is once they got past their disappointing start is they're at least right around a 500 team. And that's, that's not bad considering the youth and how much growth was required of these young guys. But going back to your point, Scott, there's 29 other teams that are jealous of the Pelicans for landing such serviceable rotation players. I mean, Herb Jones looks like he's going to be in the league for a long time, an all-NBA defensive type of caliber of guy um, who may have some offense developed. As for Jose, I mean, everybody's looking for a spark plug off the bench like him. Uh, that's why T.J. McConnell just recently over the last summer landed, a, you know, I think it was like a three-year, $30 million deal just for the simple fact of being able to pressure a ball, run the offense, and stuff like that for about 20 minutes of a game. So, And, and they, as you mentioned, he, he came undrafted. And then, of course, you've got to look at Jackson Hayes' development this year. I think Najee Marshall after his slow start to the year, is really helping the Pelicans. I mean, last night, they wouldn't even have had a chance, I think, to win once Herb Jones was ejected um, without Najee Marshall's presence on defense. And, of course, Trey Murphy, he's finally getting some playing time, and he seems to be doing something positive every game. So there's such a nice nucleus there. And, And I would almost argue with you that this team, honestly, is more talented to me than last year's. I know everybody wants to talk about the big names like Lonzo Ball, maybe. 
Uh, but look, I'm Stephen just talking Adams mainly about Zion. But but to your point, yeah. Stephen Adams is not Jonas. I just mean when you have an all star and then yeah. you don't. That's that's kind of what I was focusing right. on. But but no, I, I I see where you're coming from for sure. I mean Jonas is that, <laughs> and I'm even sorry to cut you off, but he is. You look at the the trade they made and then locking him up for an extra year. That was a that was a great move. That was incredible. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Looking back in hindsight, the cost, yeah, it, it came as several draft picks. But look, Pelicans are on the verge of possibly keeping that Lakers uh, first-round pick if it stays in the top ten. We'll see how the standings play out. And, of course, the lottery balls bounce. But even without it, you feel like they've got a good starting five and a bench that goes at least five deep that Willie Green can use. Last year, we complained about depth. Yes, you're right. Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram were out there. But look, it didn't lead to any more wins. And you don't feel as confident about their trajectory in the future um, in terms of being a sustainable, successful type of we're going to make the postseason every season. So, Scott, yeah, there's so many reasons to really just be not loving on this team, but just to be a fan of the team. There's so many young guys you can attach your fanhood to to the way Willie Green is coaching and leading his guys. I mean, there's effort every single night. Who expected, you know, those two performances in San Antonio, Atlanta, where they completely, the defense for at least a quarter or so, completely unraveled their opponent. And and the offense, really, outside of yesterday, they've been scoring, it seems like, 120 points per game since C.J. McCollum arrived, and there is no Zion Williamson. So there's so many things to be hopeful about. And I, ho- I hope people have been paying attention because this is not the same team we saw during the first six weeks or even the first three months of the year. They've come a long way. No question. This team is so much better than they were last season and so much better than they were early in the season. And last question, you mentioned L.A. They slipped back into the ninth spot in the West. You look at their remaining ten games. You have one, uh, excuse me, two against the Pels. But they've got Philly. They've got Dallas. They've got Utah. They've got Phoenix. They've got Denver twice. They've got Golden State. I mean, it's, uh, I think, the only team left on their schedule um, outside of the Pels that don't have a winning record is OKC. And we know what the Pels are doing right now. Um, and so you look at the Pelicans, you got Chicago. That's a tough game. Uh, Thursday, you got San Antonio again. You got LA twice. You got Portland, the Clippers, Sacramento, Memphis, Golden State. But I mean, it's you got some tough ones in there as well, but it's a lot of teams that you would want to be playing in regards to the standing. So ultimately, who do you think gets nine and who do you think gets 10 when this thing ends, uh, when the regular season ends come April 10th? You've got to like, honestly, the Pelicans' chances. I mean, there's two those important head-to-head games with Los Angeles, and those are two of the three easiest games considered on the Lakers' schedule. And you know that's not that, that's not exactly true, simply because of how they've been playing. What for over the last two months or so, right? They haven't been winning with LeBron James. They desperately need Anthony Davis back, and nobody's certain when he's going to return back to the lineup. So until he gets back, I still see a team that's going to flounder a lot more often than they you know walk away with a win like they did last night against the Cavaliers. And uh, as from the Pelicans' perspective, we've already mentioned that their schedule is perfect. I mean, they truly control their own destiny. I mean, depending on how that last two games play out, you know, is Memphis going to sift maybe games or, or players out over their final couple of games to get in the playoffs healthy? Same thing with Golden State. They're going to be without Steph until at least the playoffs. So really maybe this upcoming matchup against the Chicago Bulls is really the only difficult matchup left for New Orleans on paper. 
because uh, you've got the Kings, two against the Trailblazers, one against the Spurs, and two against the Lakers. And I believe there's one maybe against the Clippers. So you love that. You love that schedule to where they, they have potentially, you know, you go like seven and four, definitely eight and three. You've got to feel great about their odds of getting to the ninth seed and uh, hosting that first playing tournament game. It'd be nice to host the Lakers instead of playing in L.A. Ali Cassell has been our guest, of course, uh, friend of the program, friend of mine. If you don't follow him, go give him a follow at O-L-E-H-K-O-S-E-L. He has covered this franchise up close and personally for years. Check out thebirdrights.com, all the work he and the crew are doing over there, and the Bird Calls in O podcast as well. Ali, it's always great talking to you, man. Thanks for waking up with us, talking little Pelicans, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, all right? Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Scott. You got it. That is the great Ali Cassell. We'll take a quick timeout, shift gears from one of Gail Benson's teams to the other. Andrew Juge of the Saints Happy Hour Podcast joins me. Jameis Winston now back with the Saints as he is down on Saints free agency to this point as I am. Jay Walker sitting in in the 8 o'clock hour. We'll get in March Madness, some Cajun sports, among other things. Don't go anywhere. The great Scott Show continues. We're back in two and a half minutes on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. I'm coming to you from the ESPN Lafayette studio, sponsored by Bed Rivers. Download the Bed Rivers Sportsbook app, the best Louisiana sports betting experience. Learn more at BetRivers.com. Joining us now from the uh, Saints Happy Hour podcast, co-owner and host, along with Kevin, Dave, and of course, our friend Ralph, is Andrew Juge. Good morning, Juge. How's life, man? How you doing? Good, and uh, you know I'm glad that you've decided to elevate your show, Scott, by getting the superior host of the Saints Happy Hour. I know you have Ralph on a lot, but uh, I guess you decided to get an upgrade. So good for you. I mean, you know, I I feel like there's a metaphor here somewhere where I could talk about Saints free agency and quarterbacks, but I'm not even going to go there. Uh, I just love <laughs> that you guys talk trash to each other a lot. I just. I remember Ralph back in, you know, 04, walking around a building. I worked in part-time like he uh, like he knew everything. And, um, you know, he kind of still feels the same way. So, Yeah, nothing's really changed there. But, uh, man, it's been uh, quite a journey for us. We've been doing this for a really long time. And, uh, yeah, l- listen, I got to tell you, this offseason has been unlike any other. And, and that's the thing about the NFL and I think about the Saints that keeps you coming back and – Look, at every turn, you never know what to expect, but uh, I think that's why we have so much fun with it is it always keeps you guessing. All right. Well, before we do that, I don't think I've ever asked you this, even though you've been on here. What is uh, what is your favorite Beastie Boys song of all time? Oh, well, I'm not as big of a fan of the old, old stuff, like when they first came out. So I like the, the Sabotage era is yeah. personally for me when I started to get into it a little bit more. That album in particular uh, so I'll go with Sabotage. I mean, that, that was a formative year for me where, I, you know, I, I started getting really into the Beastie Boys and that album in particular. Ill Communication. No, no doubt, man. Like the early, yeah. look, License to Ill is iconic, but it, it's not like any of their other stuff. Like 
The truth is, right. it's got a bunch of major hits, but it's more of like a punk rock kind of rapish, very much of its era. All their other stuff, you can kind of put on, and if no one's ever heard it before, they're like, when was this made? You know, you hear License Dale, you're like, oh, that's that's the 80s right there. So, no, man, yeah. their like whole, when you, when their you, whole when catalog you like, is full uh, of great stuff. Yeah, when you, when, when you hear, like, Girls, for example, yeah, to no. me, that was a song that was in their, that was a big hit, but that was in their infancy, and that was before they really became musical geniuses. Right. You know, that, that was a catchy refrain and, and a good song, but... I started to grow an appreciation for them when they kind of spread their wings and developed as artists. A song that they actually hate, by the way, um, that was written by Rick Ross and Adam Horowitz, a.k.a. the King Ad Rock, and he, uh, he grew to be very embarrassed by that song. But, yeah, it doesn't sound anything like they're great stuff. So, no, I'm with you. I mean, they're, if I'm putting together a list of, like, my ten favorites, there might there's probably not anything off. No, no, man. There's some. Don't don't get me wrong. I'll listen to songs off a license to ill, but I don't know that any of them would be in my top ten. All right, now we're boring everybody, and that's my fault. So let's get back to the Saints. I have been um, critical of the Saints this off season. We don't need to rehash the whole Deshaun Watson thing. Obviously, it was a topic of conversation last week, but just in terms of improving their roster. I know that we're over a week into free agency, but there's still plenty of time left, and I know you have the draft. But when your head coach leaves, right, whenever you uh, – okay, you, you you got Marcus May, but you lost Marcus Williams. I would say Marcus May is good, but I think it is a slight downgrade. Uh, Armstead's probably gone. All signs are pointing to it. You signed Jameis yesterday. You have it improved at receiver. You have it improved at tight end. You just – I and, and you lost your head coach. Like, to this point, for I, – I get a lot of – feedback listener feedback saying i'm being way too negative juge am i i feel like i'm just being objective i feel like to this point here today as i'm talking to you the saints offseason has been anything but ideal i i completely agree with you i i think this team is taking a major step backwards and we're still waiting to hear back on what's going to happen with teron armstead but assuming they lose him you're talking about marcus williams and teron armstead two pillars of the team and, and yes, you, you, you make a good point. Marcus May is, is a guy that's going to mitigate that loss a little bit. But, but two things. Number one, he's coming off an Achilles injury. So he's got his own issues to deal with in terms of recovery, rehab, and all that. He's not ready yet. So they're hoping to have him back for training camp. But that's a serious injury. And during this injury period, he had a DUI. So he's staring in the face of a suspension. And that's something that the Saints are going to have to deal with at some point this season on top of what we already know is potentially impending with Alvin Kamara. So, look, there's a whole lot of questions that surround, like, can Ramchek come back from his injury and look good this year? Can Michael Thomas bounce back from his injury? What's Will Lutz going on? So there, there's a bunch of guys that they're counting on that had catastrophic injuries that have been recovering for quite some time off of surgeries now. Uh, in, in some cases, multiple surgeries for the same injury. So, I, I, I am concerned. As you mentioned, you lose your head coach. You lose potentially two key, key players in Armstead and Williams. And, you know, for those that are dismiss, dismissive and say, you know, hey, Armstead was never healthy anyway, well, that, that's not really true. Like, he was averaging 13 games a season before he left, if he leaves. And now you're talking about 17 games of James Hurst. And then what if he gets hurt? Then who do you go to? So, I think the downgrade is pretty significant so far, but they have almost $30 million in cap space. 
the injuries were significant. And I will say this. I think in Matt Rea, they bring in a guy who is known for reducing soft tissue injuries at Alabama. He's been really successful for that. And if they can make some gains in terms of having a little bit more help, I think that they can use these $30 million to build out depth. And that was the thing about the roster last year when you talk about COVID and the injuries. There were a number of times where the Saints were counting on players and they just didn't have the depth they had in previous years where guys were asked to step up and flat out they couldn't. And there were a number of times where you had guys stepping in that just didn't feel like they were ready for that moment. And so I look at them now in free agency. I don't think they're going to bring in a household name. They're not going to bring in Allen Robinson to transform this receiving core. They're not going to bring in a tight end that day one is going to start for them and give them 80 catches. I feel like that ship has sailed a little bit in free agency, but what they can still do is build out their depth because you're only as good as, you know, your second, third, maybe even fourth guy on your depth chart. They need to hit a bunch of singles here. And so free agency wise, they may not be able to get themselves a pro bowler, uh, but what they can do is they can get themselves deep, multiple deep at, at several positions where when injuries happen, because we know they always do, they'll be in a position to withstand it. Andrew Juge, our guest, ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. Follow Andrew. It's at Andrew Juge on Twitter. Um, looking at at what they can do versus looking at what they what they have done to this point, uh, are, you, are you surprised they haven't been a little more active? Was everything just on hold for Watson? Are you surprised, at least to this point, by the 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 lack of transactions are they waiting for the bargain bin as a lot of people say well i do think their plan was thrown off quite a bit uh by the whole deshaun watson thing i mean and and that's not just the saints problem i think that was a bottleneck for the league and i think a number of guys their whole free agency was delayed and there's a domino effect of where guys go based on what happens with Deshaun Watson. I think the thing that was really interesting with Deshaun Watson is the Falcons and, you know, and, and Browns really in hindsight, maybe would have wanted to handle it differently because they really poisoned the well and kind of damaged their relationships with Baker Mayfield and, and Matt Ryan. And in, in the case with the Falcons, they feel like they had to get let go of Matt Ryan because of the disrespect that he was feeling. So now he's with the Colts. I don't know that the Falcons would have wanted to part ways with him. In a perfect world, they probably would have kept him for a year. Considering had it not all transpired too, right? I mean, 40 yeah, million. yeah. And, and look, with the Browns, I just think they felt like they had to up the ante and go after him. And I suspect that with Baker Mayfield, they felt like they reached a point of no return where they were going to lose him too. And so they were like, look, if we don't get Deshaun here, we're going to be without either of them. And so that's why I think they upped the offer. They offered more trade value. They offered more contractually to Watson. And I think they felt like they had to do that. So it's interesting of kind of all the teams in the mix. Somehow the Saints are are the one that didn't damage their relationship with their quarterback. And they're very fortunate they were able to go back, turn around, and get Jameis Winston. Yeah, you know, we talked about it, I guess, on a spaces. But uh, they were treating Jameis like a booty call. And I guess he responded to the text and was like, yeah, but I'm going to come spend the night. Um, two-year deal it's not a long-term huge deal early reports 21 mil guaranteed Ian Rappaport reported yesterday evening it's 15.2 mil guaranteed uh is this 
like obviously they they showed how they felt about Jameis, and I think the rest of the league did too. You go, you you do a film study for Saints Happy Hour for the Patreons. You go, you watch the tape. I've said a lot that Jameis did okay last year. Um, statistically, if you just look at the stats, you're like it's pretty good, you know. And you're comparing it to what he used to do in regards to turnovers. But he left a lot of plays on the field. I'm not saying that he was bad in his seven starts last year, and they went what five and two. And I know he left early in the the game where he tore his ACL, but. It wasn't like he was out there playing like an all-pro either. What do you think, I guess, the biggest misconception of Jameis Winston is when you look at his tape from his seven games last year with the Saints? There is no questioning that the training wheels were on last year with Jameis Winston. Um, and, And flat out, I would say that Sean Payton didn't really trust him. And look, part of it was in training camp, difficult to really develop your comfort level in the offense when you're splitting reps. And that was very much a 50-50 thing with him and Taysom Hill. Both guys were given every opportunity to win that job. And quite frankly, neither player really seized it. Uh, I would say in that third preseason game, Jameis Winston had a really good first half with the starters, and that was kind of enough. But I'm telling you, as, as I watched and covered camp, it was a lot of Taysom would win one day, look awful for the next two. Jameis would win a day, look kind of shaky for a day and a half. And it was a lot of that, a lot of posturing. Where like, the Saints never really felt great about how either quarterback was operating in that camp. And so uh, as the season started, the Saints' defense was so good that it became very clear to Sean Payton, we're going to win with the most efficient football ever seen offensively. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be good. We're not going to put up a bunch of yards. We're not going to put up a bunch of points, but we're also not going to turn the ball over. That became the modus operandi of that offense last season. And it worked. They had a winning record because of it. Before they lost their starting quarterback and all these other crazy things happened in what was, I think, one of the most challenging seasons ever, uh, they were five and two, as you said, with, with Jameis Winston. So I, I think he, he became Teddy Bridgewater. He became a game manager. And the problem with that is that that's not who he is. He tried to be something that he's not. And w- what it resulted in was a career low. I think it was just under 180 yards per game. And to me, that, that's just the short precision passing, the short throws. He's not accurate enough, I think, to do that well. And if the Saints offensively, if that's going to be their identity, then they have the wrong quarterback. I just don't think like he, and, and again, he did a decent enough job. They were winning games, but to maximize Jameis Winston. And I was talking with kind of Saints brass about this. He's at his best as a play action quarterback. And so what you have to do is you have to run the football effectively to set it up. And then when you have deep drops in play action, where you let things develop down the field, you let him go vertical, and that's where he's at his best. And the Saints very rarely ran that. And, look, part of it was the lack of receivers, and they just didn't have the personnel to win downfield, to win vertically. So, And, obviously, you look at Kevin White and Kenny Stills some of, and Lil oh, Jordan Humphrey, some of these God. guys that were running routes down the field, Jesus. it really gave him no options in terms of how to be successful. So I think you fast-forward to this year. Obviously, hopefully Michael Thomas is back. I still think you have something in, in Marquez Callaway and Deontay Hardy, but beyond that, you have to draft a guy, maybe get one in free agency as well, maybe draft two guys. But I think this offseason has to be about 
developing their skill positions, getting younger at their skill positions, getting more speed, getting more talented. And I think if they can kind of evolve into that offensively, then Jameis may be able to be a pretty good quarterback. But I, but I will say this. I, I do agree with you that his stats, which were pretty efficient. I mean, if you look at his QBR, very good. Um, I, I think that's masked by a high, uh, unsustainable through seven games touchdown percentage and a, a lack of yardage and a lack of – but he wasn't turning the ball over, so he did fix that. But ultimately, to me, that tape was maybe a lot worse than – what the statistics were showing. Right. I mean, you get, oh, 102.8 passer efficiency rating. He was 5-2. and two. Oh, uh, 14-3 to three touchdown interception ratio. Yeah, but he averaged 185 passing yards a game. And, you know, remember his games against Carolina and the Giants and, and how many plays he left on the field. There's, it's, Jameis is, he's taken on this, I don't know, it, it, on one hand, he's kind of beloved because of how he's handled things and his personality. On the other, I just feel like a lot of the social media uh, reaction to Jameis is one extreme or the other. And that's not, I mean, look, that's social media. That's not a big surprise. But the truth lies somewhere in the middle. And, and, and what you just said about it circles back to, you know, why I've been hard on the Saints so far in the, in the offseason. Because their offense this offseason has taken significant steps backwards can they move forward yes there's still time to turn it around juge but you would think that they'd be farther along on march 22nd than they are and the offense last year was not good and you're gonna have camara likely out for a number of games so um you need to really address the o-line wide receiver tight end and a lot of those things if you want Jameis to go out there and sling it because if you want him to go out there and sling it and you've you know, your, your offense is, is worse on paper than it was a year ago, then those turnovers are going to come back and it's going to be a rough season. But looking at the NFC South, let's 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 focus on that for a minute. Um, Carolina is still begging for a quarterback. The Falcons are now a complete disaster. Tampa Bay's got Brady back. They just re-signed, you know, Leonard Fournette. Um, they've they got a guard from New England. So they're they're gearing up to make another run at it. And I don't even blame them. You look at the NFC South, and it's like, I mean, come on, we can win this division, right? The Saints have had Tampa's number in the regular season. I get it. But overall, looking at the NFC South, where where would you rank it among the divisions in the NFL on paper? One of the worst. I, I made a joke that if the Saints don't get their act together here soon, that it's starting to feel like Tom Brady's back in the AFC East. Uh, so uh, I definitely think, look, you look at Atlanta, I think there's a case to be made that they're the worst team in the NFL right now. Now that they've traded Matt Ryan, I think there's a case to be made. And we'll see how they, what other moves they make this offseason, but they're not going to have a ton of flexibility with the dead money they just took trading away Matt Ryan. So I think there's a chance that the Falcons are staring at the first pick overall next season, seriously. And so I bet they're glad they didn't trade that away for Deshaun Watson. Um, but uh, I think that's how bad they are. Uh, Carolina, look, it remains to be seen what they're going to do at quarterback, but obviously they missed out on Deshaun Watson, too. Uh, I, I think Matt Rule is a slow start away from being fired. Uh, so I, I think Carolina and Atlanta, you look at those two teams, and that, that should be four easy wins for Tampa. And the Saints, like you said, they, they've kind of taken a step backwards so far. So uh, th- this feels like a very, very weak division uh, in, a, in a very, very weak conference. Uh, I think, look, the Rams – 
We know they're still going to be good, but they, they lost Vaughn Miller. Uh, they may lose Odell Beckham. I mean, they're still, and even if Odell Beckham comes back, obviously uh, he's banged up. So they went ahead and they got uh, Allen Robinson. They lose Robert Woods potentially to free agency. So the Rams are going to look a little different, um, but they're still going to be good. Uh, Green Bay has lost Devontae Adams, so they, they don't have as much firepower. And I, I wonder if Aaron Rodgers will be able to have as successful of a year this season. And then, uh, you know, you have Tampa. But other than that, the NFC, to me, is really weak. Uh, we still don't really know what the Niners have in Trey Lance, and so that's a big question mark. Uh, we still don't know. Arizona, are they getting better? Are they maybe a contender, or is it is it more the same with them, and are they poorly coached with Cliff Kingsbury? So, to me, I just look at that whole conference. There are so many question marks, and so that's the silver lining if you're a Saints fan is – you look at even going a little bit backwards and Russell Wilson getting shipped out and Devontae at so and Matt Ryan, so many of the talent, so much of the talent has been pushed out of the NFC into the AFC. All these great available quarterbacks, they've all gone to the AFC. And so now I feel like it's kind of after the, the maybe the three best teams, four through seven playoff spots are kind of wide open and anyone could get them. And so that's a silver lining, even though the Saints have moved backwards so far in terms of their roster. I still think it's good enough to make a playoff spot because that's how bad the NFC is right now. So uh, it's really going to be dictated by what their moves are from here. And look, I think part of the delay, and you mentioned the delay, Scott, and, and I think obviously Deshaun Watson is a big part of it because if you trade for him, then you're somewhat limited in what you can do financially. Uh, then, then the next big piece was figure out quarterback if you lose out on Watson. They signed Jameis Winston to a deal, quite frankly, that I find shocking. I'm shocked that he accepted two years, uh, $14 million a year. That's a great deal for the Saints. Very, very cheap. And that, to your point, I think that, that speaks to his market, and that speaks to how the league felt about him. But uh, I, I think that gives the Saints a lot of financial flexibility. I think the next move here is Teron Armstead. They need to figure out whether he's coming back or not. Uh, and the fact that he does not have a deal with Miami yet is surprising to me. And I think uh, that, that, like, that, that increases the likelihood that he could possibly come back to the Saints. If he does come back, I think the Saints will be a little bit more limited in what they can spend. But if they lose Tron Armstead, at that point, I think you'll start to see a flurry of deals. And so I think that's the reason for the delay. They're waiting to see what happens there because that will dictate how many players they can sign and how much flexibility they have. So uh, that, to me, is probably the last stepping stone before you see the Saints get much more active here in the second wave with a flurry of deals. Also worth noting about Teron, you know, multi-time team captain as voted on by his teammates, one of the most respected guys in the locker room and one of the most veteran guys uh, on the team. You know, he's been there since 2013. So uh, if he departs, I know a lot of people are expecting it, but – that's um, that's something I don't think you're just going to be able to replace, whether it be in free agency or the draft. Andrew Juge has been our guest. At Andrew Juge on Twitter, that's J-U-G-E is how you spell the last name. And, of course, he, Ralph, Kevin, Dave, the Saints Happy Hour podcast. Go subscribe. I know you guys got a big following from uh, Saints fans here in the Lafayette and Acadiana area. So appreciate you taking the time, Juge. It's, uh, it's always good talking ball with you, and I'll be listening to you guys uh, cut up and you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think a Jim Mora cameo to do the intro would have been great. 
I mean, there was so much Ralph could have done with that, but you know, it doesn't surprise me that Jim Moore would just give Ralph the Heisman and just you know say, "Get out of here! I don't, I don't, I don't need you. I don't want you." But let me keep replying to these messages through this service so I can charge you a few dollars every time. <laughs> it really is kind of the perfect way uh, for that to play out, honestly. Um, so yeah, we were disappointed by that, but uh, as always, Scott. I uh, appreciate your support, and uh, thanks for having me on your show, and uh, happy to join anytime. All the best, brother. We'll talk soon. All right, take care. Thanks, man. Got it. That is Andrew Juge, and that is it for the 7 o'clock hour of the Great Scott Show. Jay Walker in studio next. March Madness, ETT, Matt McMahon. Whole lot happening in the world of sports to talk to Jay about. Don't go anywhere. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. I'm Scott Braithor. This is The Great Scott Show.